0: So good morning, good morning. Welcome to Freedom. So happy that everybody came out uh, to celebrate with us, to worship with us, and celebrate Veterans Day. What is Veterans Day, right? On the 11th hour of the 11th month in 1919, an armistice was signed between the Axis and the Allied governments that ended the greatest war that the world had ever knew at that point in time. Later to become known as World War I. For other countries that participated in World War I, in the U.S., we used to call it Armistice Day. Over in Great Britain, they call it Remembrance Day. But we already had a Remembrance Day after the Civil War, and that's what we now celebrate Memorial Day. After World War II, there was a great movement to change Armistice Day to Veterans Day. This was a day that the nation could come together and honor all veterans during peacetime and war, not just during uh, those who died during the Civil War, or those who have died in the service of their nation. You see, that's what's different between Memorial Day and Veterans Day. As Veterans Day, we get to celebrate all veterans, past, present, and future. Whether you served in peacetime or wartime, that's a day that this nation has set aside to honor you. So if you're a veteran, please stand up so you can be recognized. (laughs) Amen. Amen. Thank you. You know, it's really tough for me to do these videos or find those videos, right? Because I get on YouTube and I start going through all these videos, And man, next thing I know, I'm a blubbering mess because of all the memories and all the thoughts and feelings that brings up. But isn't it so funny how when we're out in the world, we can tell who other veterans are just by looking at them? The phenomenon is so present that the memes on the internet, that's what this whole video was about, were the memes on the internet that we saw. The sad part is that they are funny but true at the same time. So I started doing a recent, you know, Google, it's a great friend, um, traits of a veteran, right? Some things started to pop up. Still wears his old combat boots for lawn care. Yep, that's this guy. I got two pairs sitting by my back door. Always planning the contingencies for that plan. Yep, you can check that one too. I go nuts if I don't have a plan. If I don't know what's going on, I don't know what to expect, man, it just drives me absolutely crazy. Here's one. Always aware of his surroundings and who is where and when in the restaurant. Yep, sit with my back to the door. I can tell you how many backpacks are in that restaurant. I can tell you who's sitting where, just because I want to be aware of my surroundings. Has vet dar. That is, one can tell if someone else is a vet just by looking at them. And I'm pretty good with the Army and the Marine guys, but the Navy and the Air Force, I, I'm still working on that one. My point being is when we joined the military, no matter what branch, we were transformed into something else. And the change was big enough that people noticed. We were no longer the person that we were when we joined. Our mindset had been changed in a very short amount of time. Instead of always looking out just for me, the mindset of me, at least, went from me, myself, and I to a team-type mentality. You see, we have it ingrained to us that we're part of a team that supports something larger and bigger than ourselves. So how did we get these habits that became lifelong traits? Did it just happen overnight? No. I believe, for me, I believe it was from being immersed in foundational training we received while we were in basic training. For me, I was an Army guy. I was an infantry dude for 22 years, so my basic training is what they call one-unit station training. Army has eight weeks of basic combat training is what they call it. Then if you're in combat arms, you just roll right into whatever your MOS is going to be. So for me, it was 13 weeks long. All I did for 13 weeks was eat, sleep, drink water, lots of water, and do nothing but train Army. Can you imagine if we took that same mindset, 13 weeks of man camp, what would I be like as a person? Or my man camp alumnus? Instead of just that one week, put you in that situation for 13 weeks. Just imagine what kind of person you would become. I learned a lot about my job and the duties at this time. However, when I got to my first unit, I quickly learned I did not know everything, and it was pointed out to me quickly and often. (laughs) If we go back further in the recruiting process, most of us younger guys, we had to volunteer to join the service. Then we were academically tested, we were given the physical, and found that we met the minimum requirements. Then off to basic training we went. We took an oath that in part says I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, and bear true faith and allegiance to the same, so help me God. I took that oath and jumped on a plane and off to Fort Benning I went. In other words, we had to surrender ourselves to the Department of Defense and say, I'm surrendering my life to you for you to train and equip so that I can become to the defense of this nation. In return... You're going to give me some money for college, or you might even pay off my college loans. You may let me pick my first duty station, where I want to live. You might even give me a cash bonus, put some money in my pocket. The key word in that last paragraph is we had to surrender our lives for this nation. We wrote a blank check to the Department of Defense saying, I'm giving you everything to include my life for the defense of this great nation. I remember when I got to basic training, I surrendered my hair. That was the first thing I surrendered. And I had to pay $2.35 for it. My recruiter told me, hey, man, when you go off to basic training, take the crappiest clothes you own, take a crappy duffel bag, and when you get there, you're going to get your uniforms, take those clothes, throw them in that duffel bag, and throw them in the trash. Those were my worldly possessions I had at that time. I sacrificed every worldly possession I had to go into the army. So in essence, I surrendered everything I had and agreed to become a servant of the nation. They gave me new clothes, new skills to serve, but first I had to surrender. So did everyone. So, we got our uniforms, we we passed a little 13 push-up test to get us into basic training. We start doing the training. We start going through BASIC, right? So did everyone that I went through BASIC graduate with me at the same time? No, sure didn't. I had a platoon of 48 guys. Not everyone graduated. Some guys were rolled over into other training companies due to their injuries. There are other guys who just could not handle being away from home. They missed their mom and their dad, their girlfriend or whatever. Or they couldn't conform to the rules and regulations that the army had. This last group of folks, those guys were sent home under a discharge called failure to adapt. They failed to adapt to the military lifestyle, so they went back to the civilian world. Isn't this the same with our walk with Christ? First, we have to surrender to him. We recognize that we're sinners in this world or that we need a savior. The first step is surrendering ourselves to Christ and allowing him into our heart. Whether it's something we're taught as a young kid through Bible school, or you finally hit rock bottom and you've remembered that there's a Christ out there and you're throwing the lifeline. God, give me a lifeline. God, help me in this situation. So, my question is, is why is it so hard for us to surrender? Because in the world, especially the military military world, the word surrender is synonymous with quitting. If you surrender, you're quitting on your guys. You're quitting on your team. Just listen to the fifth stanza of the Ranger Creed. Energetically will I meet the enemies of my country. I shall defeat them on the field of battle, for I'm better trained and will fight with all my might. Surrender is not a Ranger word. I'll never leave a fallen comrade to fall into the hands of the enemy, and under no circumstances will I ever embarrass my country. Surrender is not a ranger word. But then I come into this lifestyle, and they're like, man, you got to surrender to Christ. Wait a minute, surrender is not a ranger word, and I'm a ranger, so that ain't going to happen, man. I don't surrender. There are other words to use to describe us as Christians that in modern lexicon are quite foreign to us. Words such as servant or slave. I'm a slave to Christ. I'm a servant of Christ. But man, that's an oxymoron, right? Us in the American society, we're not servants. We're not slaves. But in Christ we are. We are Christ's servants. We are Christ's slaves. Let's look at an example from Matthew, Matthew 19, 16 through 22. Just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good things must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good, Jesus replied. There's only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones, he inquired, Jesus replied, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I've kept, the young man replied. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, He went away sad because he had great wealth. In verse 16, we see the young man is asking what good thing he can do to get eternal life. In other words, the young man is asking what task can he complete or what deed can he do to have eternal life. But if you notice in verse 20, the young man is saying, yep, I've done all that as if he's checking off some kind of check sheet. I have no doubt in my mind that maybe this young man was a little bit cocky at that point, saying, yeah, Jesus, I've done that. I've done all that. But this is a works mentality where we work ourselves into having eternal life. There's no surrender. I can either work myself to have eternal life or I can pay myself. If I give large enough tithes, if I spend most more time serving, not really serving, but just working, that's not true surrender. We do not know if the young man truly surrendered to Jesus or not. It just ends right there. The last we hear of him is he walked away very sad because he was a rich person. All I can infer is that the young man was not willing to surrender his his riches and follow Christ, which made him sad because he realized he could not work or pay his way into eternal life. He couldn't do it on his terms. How many times have we done that? Can't do it on my terms. I'm not gonna do it. That's a me, myself, and I mentality. Man, that's Paul Bailey all the way. <laughs> Ephesians 2 8 and 9 puts it another way. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Let's look at that last sentence, last part again. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. I can't can't claim that glory, because it's not my glory to claim, it's His glory to claim. For me, man, my favorite verses in the Bible are Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and to prove what God's will is his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So, there's a, there's a lot for me in, in that passage itself. So, verse one what, what's the first thing we have to do? Commit yourself to God and only God. In other words, surrender. Paul urges us Christians here to present present ourselves, our bodies, to God as a living and holy sacrifice. To picture here he draws from the Old Testament sacrificial system, where a worshiper would bring a sacrifice to the priest and offer it up on the altar of God, a, a burnt offering that would be totally consumed. So, I would go to the temple, and I would take my offerings. They're living offerings at that time. They're not dead. I don't kill the sheep, then take it to the temple. I take my live sheep. So if we think about it, uh, when we were at Christmas time, J.D. was talking about the shepherds tending the flock, and they saw the, the large star in the sky. Well, who were those shepherds? It's theorized that those shepherds were the shepherds of the temple, mending all the sacrificial sheep. So you're giving a living sacrifice to the temple, you're not giving a dead sacrifice to the temple. The word used here carries the general idea of surrendering your all, leading, yielding your all to God. In other words, commit yourself completely to God, not just half-hearted. Like JD talked about a couple weeks ago, a sacrifice needs to be with our whole hearts, not just an empty action. We need to get serious about what it means to be a follower of Christ. Notice he qualifies this in two ways. Number one, to present yourself as a living sacrifice compared to that dead sacrifice. Are you a living person living in Christ? Or are you dead to Christ and living in the world? Number two, you have to present yourself as a holy sacrifice, totally consecrated to God, totally surrendered to him and his will for you. This is what is acceptable to God. When you give yourself to God, when you give yourself to God this way. It's also noted, this is your reasonable spiritual service of worship. Meaning, When you understand what God has done for us, it's only reasonable for us to commit ourselves fully to him. Adam and Eve, we learned, sinned, right? They were deceived by the devil, and they were sinned. Before that time, there was a relationship. Every evening, they'd walk in the cool of the garden and speak with God. But as soon as that sin happened, that relationship stopped, right? Right? But God always wants that relationship with us. And this leads to the second thing we need to do. Resist conforming to current culture. When I joined the Army, I could no longer bela- behave like the culture outside of the Army. My training changed how I thought and how I acted, and I surrendered to the Department of Defense. I began to think and behave differently differently. Like a soldier. The word used here for world actually actually means age. Don't be conformed to this age. In other words, the world's system dominated by Satan. 1 John 5.19 CSB says, We know that we are of God and the whole world is under the sway of the evil one. There's a battle going on. Even to this day, the forces are battling and are trying to make us to conform to their beliefs and their lifestyle choices. Our culture is seeking to conform us educationally, politically, judiciously, socially, economically, and quite frankly, religiously to its views and beliefs. Warren Weasler says, the world wants to control your mind, but God wants to transform your mind. That can only happen with Surrender. We, Christians in the Christian community, are being told today that we're wrong and we must change our beliefs. In fact, there's a strategic agenda these forces are implementing. They cry intolerance and say we're being intolerant of them and their lifestyle. They cry we're being bigots. We're intolerant of any ideas other than our own, especially religious beliefs. And they cry rights. They say we have rights and our rights are being violated. If I'm a servant or a slave of Christ, I have no rights. And strategically, they keep saying these things, if they keep saying these things long enough and loud enough until they just simply wear down all the resistance and society just finally accepts. it. But God tells us to resist. Do not conform. John Philip captures it best when he translates this. Don't allow the world to squeeze you into its own mold. The force in the form of this world says, stop letting the world squeeze you. And it further emphasizes that this is something we allow to be done to us. But we have the opportunity to say, no, I am not going to conform to this world. Paul's command indicates this is happening in his day to the Roman Christians. And it it is a battle in every culture. Church, we must stand against the tsunami of culture today and not conform to it. We'll either surrender to God or to the world. You know, I work in the IT business, and we have these binary languages, right? Ones and zeros. It's either a yes or a no. There ain't no in between. And this leads to the third thing. Be transformed in your mind, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The word year word here for transform is in the word gives us the English word of metamorphosis and it means a total change from inside out a transformation when I came out of basic training I looked different on the outside and I thought different on the inside the key to this change is the mind the control center of one's attitudes thoughts feelings and actions where's the greatest spiritual battle in our lives It's in the mind. And we need for our minds to be transformed or renewed. In fact, Paul gives it as a command. The force of the word here means to continuously let your mind be transformed. It's not just a one and done thing. It's a continuous process. And I want you to see here that it's not something that you do per se. No, the one who does this work is the Holy Spirit in you. This is not about works. I, don't, I can't change myself. As I surrender to Christ, the Holy Spirit changes me. While I can train myself to react or speak differently, it's impossible to make true, internal, permanent change on my own. That's where those masks come into play. We're just putting on a mask for a short amount of time. It's not true change. Now, I do need to cooperate with the Holy Spirit in His transforming or the renewing of His work. How? By spending time pouring in the God's Word and letting, letting it pour into you, praying and fellowshipping with other Christians. Praying. So how many folks here are married? Have significant others? Quite a few of us, right? So when you met your significant other for the first time, you know, whatever it is, whatever line you use to get their attention, you know, you, hey, you from Tennessee? Because you're the only 10 I'd see, Right? Is that the only thing you said to your significant other? Or did you continue a conversation with them? (laughs) Because, man, if I use that first line and that's all she knew of me, I don't know why she's still with me 26 years later. (laughs) My point being is you need to have that communication. You need to have that relationship with God. Because continually through prayer, that's how we talk to him. We get to know them, we get to know God through the reading of our Bible. We get to know him more, better, more intimately. And then praying is just opening that line of communication. Fellowshiping with other Christians. Surround yourself with other Christians. You know, the only night of the week that freedom doesn't have its doors open are Monday and Saturday. But guess what? We have these things called life groups. I bet we've got life groups that meet on Monday and Saturday. So my point being is, you can always surround yourself with someone either here at the church or outside the church. You just have to ask for help. Where can I go get hooked up? When we do these things constantly, not just a little here and a little there. You know, my week's kind of free this week. Let me go check out these Iron Men. What's that all about? But you're not consistently staying with other Christians, or staying in His Word. But if you continuously have that relationship with God, the transformation will happen, and you will be renewed. As you memorize and meditate upon God's words, your way of thinking is going to start changing. Your mind becomes first informed, and then conformed to the pattern of God, the pattern for which we were originally designed. And this leads to a transformed life where you'll know what God wants and will want to do for you for it is good and pleasing to God and perfect for you. Some brothers and I were talking the other day and we're talking about the church and discussing, man, how do we get folks over the edge, right? They claim they're a Christian, but I don't see their walk or, you know, they're like, hmm, I've heard about this, this Jesus guy. So how do we get them to commit? The question was, how do we get these folks to commit to Christ? The answer came back to me that was very shocking and sobering. You see, there's nothing I can do. It's not me. It's that other person that needs to make that decision. I've already made the decision. I'm very secure. in in myself, in my relationship with Christ, but the other person, all I can be is the vessel that carries the Holy Spirit and spills the water. Yep, I can yell and scream like an old drill sergeant or ranger instructor until they do what I want them to do, but is that true surrender on their part? That's not how it works. They have to decide to surrender to Christ and accept Him for themselves. You see, it is not us who do the transforming, but rather it's the Holy Spirit in us. John 4.14 says, But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So, let me ask this. How many times have you finished a training evolution where you're hot, sweaty, full of the mud and the muck, maybe some red Georgia clay all over you, and you get a break and you're able to go over to that water lister, the the lister bag, and fill up your canteen with that water. Because they used to put five-pound bags of ice in those lister bags, and they are very nice and cool on an August day in Georgia. It's got ice in it with the cool, clean water. You take a sip. Next thing you know, you've drunk the whole canteen and you want more. You want, you want more to drink and more to spill over your head. This is how having Christ in you feels to me from this passage. The water is plentiful, refreshing, and satisfying. Then we look at the second verse where it talks about the water I will give them will become a spring well of water welling up to eternal life. Acts 3.19 says, Repent then. And turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. It's saying when you've tasted the water, you don't want to shut up about it. We don't want to keep the water to ourselves, but we want to share it with everyone. And it's refreshing water. I'm no longer sweaty and nasty, but rather I'm fresh and clean. A holy sacrifice. As we're being transformed, the fruits of the Spirit starts coming through us. I'm not sure about you, but I feel the love, the joy, and the peace of my Christ. I'm more kind to strangers, more generous in my giving of my talents, gifts, and treasures. Jody even says I'm different. She says she has to drag me out of church now when we want to go eat lunch because I'm too busy talking to everyone. Man, whereas before, I was the first one out the door. Come on, Jody, let's go. It's time to go get lunch. But I want to fellowship. I want to be around other Christians. I want to eat that fruit of the Spirit. This leads me down the path of who I put my faith in. My faith is in Christ, whereas before it was in me and the world. Lastly, I have more self-control over my actions. I'm no longer reacting to an incident, but rather responding to it. When the temptations of old habits arise, I know that God has a way for me out of it. As we discussed earlier with a young rich man trying to either buy or work his way to, to eternal life, it's about relationship versus religion. Religion has me working to do some actions that I think are going to save me, when in reality it is my relationship with Christ that brings about the fruits of the Spirit. As I grow in my relationship, the, the fruit becomes more plentiful and more pleasing. There's another great thing that the army does that I really enjoy. Not really, that's a lie. (laughs) They have these things after you do a training evolution, it's called an after action review, an AAR. So whether you're out at the National Training Center or whatever, you go through your evolution, then you get back together and they have these observer controllers and man, they're just marking down everything you do, good, bad, or indifferent. But one of the things, I believe why we are one of the best fighting nations in the world is because we do these after-action reviews. Because when you go into this after-action review, you've got to put your tough skin on. Leave your emotions outside the door, put your tough skin on, because you're just going to get beat up. But what that does is it lets you know what you're doing good and what you're doing bad. So you can go back to your unit and you can start working on those areas of improvement. So why is it in the Christian lifestyle, if I go up to JD and I'm like, hey man, you know, dude, I got a problem with this. Uh, I didn't like how you did blah, blah, blah. Or Bill comes to me and says the same thing. Why do I get so out of sorts because they're giving me positive or negative feedback? Do you realize to give someone some type of feedback how much love and how much courage it takes for that person to do that? Bill, I love you enough that I'm gonna come talk to you and I want you to improve in this area. I don't talk, well, I used to not talk to people. But remember that word JD used a couple weeks ago? It starts with an F? Fortitude. Also means courage, right? You know how much fortitude that takes? For someone to go to someone else and say, hey man, I love you enough that I want the best for you, but at the same time, you need to work on these areas here. So why do we get all bent out of shape? Why do we get our emotions in there? Oh, so and so doesn't like me because they said blah, blah, blah. That's the transforming of your mind. Instead of having the mindset of Man, so-and-so doesn't like me. They're giving me this negative feedback. What about the other mindset? Man, that person really loves me. They have my best interest at heart. They want me to walk better with Christ. And they gave me some techniques of how I can do that. So why why do we get all upset about it? I don't know. Band, you can come on up. When we joined the military, maybe unloanly at the time... We were surrendering our lives to the Department of Defense. Once we attended basic training, we were transformed into that soldier, sailor, airman, or marine. I know for me, as I gained more and more training, I really enjoyed serving in the Army. But that was because, as I surrendered more, I began to see more opportunities that opened doors I never saw before. The Holy Spirit does the same thing with us showing us things that we've never seen before, ways that we can serve that we've never noticed before. The same goes with our walk with Christ. First, we must totally and completely surrender to him. Not just part of us. I'm just going to give you this little thing over here, Jesus, but all of us and start growing in that relationship. That is when he starts to transform us. It's nothing that we can do, but rather him and us. So let me ask this. Is there something in your life that you're not willing to sacrifice? Would you give up that brand new bike if he asked? It's a tough question to answer. However, God was quick to respond. And he sacrificed his son so that we could have that relationship with him again. So that we could walk in the garden with him again. This week I asked that everyone look at what they have and what, what could you sacrifice? Because when we look at it, Christ gave all for us. And the things we have here are nothing compared to his sacrifice. Much like the young man, we do not have enough to sacrifice, only ourselves. The living sacrifice that is holy and pleasing to God. Are you truly holy and pleasing to God? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are an awesome, awesome father that wants to have a relationship with us. And when we look at it, our part may be very simple. Just surrender to you, and you will take care of the rest. However, in this world, it is easier said than done. We have all these distractions, but Heavenly Father, we know who's causing those distractions. It's just a devil trying to keep us away and separated from you. Father, I thank you for sending your son to die for my sins and allowing me to have that relationship with you. Lord, I ask that you help me stay focused on you and not the things of this world, but Father, on you, so that I may be that living and holy sacrifice. Thank you for always being there for me, even though I thought I was alone. Heavenly Father, you were just there. I just had to ask. I ask and say all these things in your Son's holy name. Amen. Amen.